The one thing that I love the most about worship, I love a lot of things about worship, um, I love being here with you all, but uh, when it's just about me and, and the Lord, um, me singing to God um, and me hearing um, about God through song, um, worship helps me to escape. And maybe you can relate to that. Um, we all have things and we all turn to things that help us escape from day to day. Maybe you've got a hobby. Maybe you've got something that you do uh, as a family, apart from your family, that you uh, do uh, to kind of get free from the grind at work and from the, some of the stress that has built up, especially with what we've been through lately. It's good to have those things to kind of escape and, and enjoy, uh, whether it's outdoors, indoors, um, and anywhere in between. Uh, we all have things that we, we look to and turn to to escape. But in many cases, when we turn to those things, uh, the rest of the world is just watching and kind of tapping its foot you know, making uh, uh, us realize that, you know what, you can pretend that we're not here waiting on you, and you can pretend that life's not going to get back to normal tomorrow or six hours from now, but hey, the clock's going to turn, and you're going to have to get off of that and come back to the real world. So sometimes in the real world or in, you know, in our lives, when we escape, when we find things that help us escape, um, there's something in the back of our mind, maybe it's just me, I don't know, but there's these things in the back of my mind that remind me, you know, this is just, you know, this can't really dull out or numb out the reality that, that is going to be um, waiting on me. But the thing about worship, um, it truly is an escape, but it's more than an escape. Uh, it's an entrance. It's an entrance into a much bigger world where the open door, the open skies between heaven and earth is defined and it gets our attention. Uh, worship helps us forget about our troubles and our strife, yes, but more importantly, it puts them in perspective. Worship is not just about numbing and dulling out the rest of the world. Worship is about bringing all of that into perspective and putting all of that in its proper place because that's what it does. When we look to God, we realize who He is and what everything else is in light of Him. See, God is bigger and God is greater than our worst trouble. And worship reminds us of that. That yes, God is bigger. Yes, God is greater. And yes, what I'm going through may be great in and of itself. And yes, it may be the worst thing I've ever faced. But I am declaring and proclaiming and I am being encouraged by the voices around me and by the spirit within me that God is bigger and God is greater than this. But maybe more importantly, worship causes us to see just how little and shallow our worldly successes and pleasures are in comparison. Yes, worship helps us to break free from the things that are bringing us down and hurting us and, and discouraging us, but worship also gives us freedom from those things that we think are good, that we think bring us pleasure, we think they are great successes, but when we see how much bigger God is, we understand that God is bigger and better than our greatest triumph. That he is more worthy of our praise and excitement than anything else that might get us excited. Now, I love worship because of the entrance it gives me into God's realm. How it shows me that our reality is not separated from God's at all. That heaven and earth, the line between them is very thin after all. That he rules and presides over our world, over every circumstance, over every season, even this one. See, worship gives us this incredible reminder that God is never surprised. He is always sovereign. Maybe we need to hear that. Let's say that together. God is never surprised. He is always sovereign. Now, I'm surprised a lot. 
this year I've learned to never be surprised, but I'm surprised a lot in life. Sometimes I just don't see something coming. As much as I might would have, you know, admitted that it could have been a, a, a possibility or potential, you know, I'm surprised sometimes that things don't go the way that I would have expected them. But God is never caught off guard. He is always sovereign, and sovereign is just a big word that means he is in control. He is hands-on. He is actually moving the pieces where he sees them fit. Now, this year has been full of surprises, of course, not the best kind always. Of course, one thing that's not surprising is that there is an election next month, literally uh, less than 30 days away um, on top of all the things that we didn't expect this year, we knew this was coming. You know, our founding fathers knew this was coming because of the four-year cycle, uh, right? Did we know it was coming in the whirlwind that we've had? You know, after 2016, we probably shouldn't have expected any less. Uh, but with COVID and all the other chaotic elements, it's added even more turbulence. Now, in politics, there is uh, what they call every election cycle, there is um, the October surprise. Uh, everybody's heard of that. You'll hear that more and more over the next couple of weeks as if they can one up the last one. But usually it involves someone digging up dirt or smearing dirt on the opposing candidate. But this year, having uh, keeping in step with the reputation of 2020, this year brought a different level of surprise. And Lord knows what might be next. We're just four days into the month after all. Um, but I'm sure everybody was shocked to hear, um, regardless of your support or not of our president, I'm sure everybody was shocked to hear that President Trump was diagnosed and hospitalized with COVID. And of course, I'm sure it's just precaution. He seems to be doing well, and we believe that he will. But, um, you know, I sure was surprised by this because I had to redo my introduction after all of it came down. Um, but, but seriously, as if our nation wasn't divided already with attacks coming from every side, this added to the frenzy and the stress and the anxiety that's in the air, uh, among many things. Um, this has reminded us this has reminded us that our fallen world does not respect office, age, gender, or status. It's reminded us that COVID-19 is still at work, as many in our community have faced recent diagnoses. So no doubt many aren't here today because of that potential exposure in most churches. Most churches are far less filled because of the risk um, and concern. Uh, while our nature is to assume that we've already went through the worst part of this as a country, we really don't know where we're at. And we really don't know what's next. Now, what we've tried to do this entire year as a church through this arduous journey is to remember this promise that while we don't know, God does. And that while we might be surprised, God is never surprised. God is always sovereign. And if you've been here with us through this journey, we have tried to focus our attention on the promise of God's sovereignty how he is never surprised, but we've wanted and our goal has always been and will always be to go a little farther with this. Yes, God is sovereign over whatever we're facing. He is also sovereign over wherever he's placed us. So I think sometimes we can detach ourselves from God and say, yes, he's sovereign over this, but I don't really feel like he's really hands-on with where I'm at in this. But I want to remind you today or tell you today that that's not true. God is sovereign in where he has placed us. I hope that makes sense. However much longer we face this challenge, or no matter what our next challenge may be, we have got to lean into God's sovereign hand. His sovereign hand that both protects and places. You see, as a church, as Christians, we know exactly where we're at. We're in the hand of God. So you tell someone that, they might look at you strange, but that's the reality, right? We are in the hand of God, yet we still have a purpose 
even in this place, because God has placed us here. But maybe you're wondering, what is our purpose? What is our role? What is our place in this plague? Well, actually, we have a very important role to assume in times like these. And honestly, we are to wear this mantle and walk in this role in many times or in every time, in every season. Because even when there isn't a global pandemic that's affecting almost everyone, there, there are isolated, sometimes overlooked trials and tribulations that may just be affecting one or just a few. And it's here that we find our true calling, the unanimous, constant calling for every Christian in every season. The text that makes that so clear is found in Galatians 6. Our last look at Galatians is a part of this study we've been in for the last month. I got to tell you, I don't think Galatians 6 could have come at a more proper and optimum time um, as far as speaking to and giving us a word for what we're going through in this moment in time. If you've been with us or if you haven't, uh, Galatians has been all about our relationship with God, and we've come to the conclusion that it's personal, that our relationship with God, it is also personal. And we've talked about how faith in Jesus is life-changing, it's revolutionary, and it makes a radical difference. Those are not just hyperbole. Those, you know, actually describe and characterize what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. It changes your life. It revolutionizes your life. It makes a radical, dynamic difference. And that our hearts become the home for the Spirit of God. As much as sin works against us, God so much works for us. He moves into our hearts and He gives us new life. So that every thought, every word, and every step is permeated and influenced and impacted and changed by God's presence in our life. Every thought, every word, every step is impacted and changed for the better by God's presence in our lives. A better that is unachievable otherwise. So to say that Christianity is a personal relationship with God is an understatement. Yet that being said, God's presence in our lives is not normal. It's not natural in that we remain in a fallen world where most do not know him or follow him or experience what he offers which wraps back around to Paul's reason for writing this letter. To defend his ministry, to defend his why for his mission, what God had given to him, Paul wanted to share with others because he knew that God's desire was for everyone to know this life-changing truth. The gift of salvation, a relationship with Jesus, the resurrection experience that comes to a believer. Paul has defended and defined his message. We've learned in, gr- in great and clear detail the essentials of the gospel and of our Christian faith. Last week, we heard Paul implore us to live to the fullness of our faith, walk in the Spirit of God. And this week in Galatians 6, he is going to detail specifically what faith working through love looks like. This is the outpouring of a life that knows Jesus. A personal relationship with God will lead to this very personal expression as spelled out for us in these 10 verses. So would you follow along with me? Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Brethren, brothers and sisters, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law 
of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught in the word, who is taught the word in all good things, with, uh, in all good things, share with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity. I don't think I'm overstating this. I think this year has presented an opportunity for us to obey this passage more than any other year in my lifetime, at least. This chapter does not put before us a suggestion. This is a mandate for all Christians. Verse 1 addresses whoever is spiritual, as in filled with and is walking in the Spirit of God. This is the litmus test. This reveals what a truly spiritual life looks like in practice. But let's break this down. Now, we all know the core of our salvation. At the heart of our salvation, in our hearts, literally, is a resilient and a resurrecting spirit, the resilient and the resurrecting spirit of God. Not, not, not one that promises to keep us from evil, but promises to keep us from the judgment and the condemnation that is due to all evil. Our Christian faith, our Christian faith and our Christian hope promises us a constant dose of restoration to counter the constant struggle against tribulations. That's true for everyone that believes. Our Christian hope, our faith is that God gives us a constant dose of restoration that counters and is in spite of the constant struggle that we face against tribulation. Now let's be very clear. Does sin still tempt us? Yes. Does shame still bind us? Yes. Does sorrow still hurt us? Yes. But as Christians, we are reminded that God has forgiven and God has freed us, that God loves us and he values us. He accepts us and he has adopted us. He comforts and restores us through all and in all. See, as Christians, we believe there's nothing and we know there's nothing that we face that is bigger or stronger than God's grace. And yes, we may bear scars from our trials. We may cry tears and sweat over our trials. We may never be the same because of our trials. But hear this. At the right hand of God sits a risen Savior who has scars in his hands and his feet. He cried and sweat drops of blood on his road to Calvary, where he died under the curse of sin. Yet he is not dead today. And because of his eternal life, we have eternal life. And his spirit pumps new life into your veins and flows in your blood, fills your lungs and gives you the breath of life, strengthens every weak or depleted marrow, joint and bone with new life. That's what we believe. So yes, 
There may be some negatives from the trials we face, but the restoration we can experience in them makes it worth it. Now that may sound crazy, but that's the hope of Christianity. That's the hope of Christianity that our world needs to hear more about. And our world is looking for something to measure up to this good news. And nothing ever will. This is the message the church needs to preach now more than ever. Maybe you're wondering, makes it worth it? Maybe you're, as a, as a Christian, you sit there and read that and you think, you know what, I don't know, Justin. I mean, I don't know if I can say the negatives of the trial, you know, aren't greater than the experience that God shows me and the restoration that he gives me. Listen to this in Romans 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, is to be revealed. As in, in the middle of the trial, we're still waiting for it to be revealed. But the promise from God is that when it is revealed on earth, maybe in heaven, definitely. But when it is revealed, we will confess it's not worth comparing. What we went through to get here was absolutely worth it. Now, I don't expect someone to say that in the middle of a trial. I don't expect somebody to say that before they go into a trial. But the hope of the Christian is that you will definitely be saying that on the other side of it. Paul would say later on in 2 Corinthians on the same line. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed and restored day by day. So yes, day by day it may seem like there's some things wasting away. But Paul says there's something inside of you being restored, being renewed. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now listen, Paul's saying, listen, I know what trials are like. I've been through my share of them. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 and he lists them, takes up a whole page. But he says those are light in comparison to the weight of glory that God has for those that hold on to hope in him and those that will walk in him. Listen, this is important because it addresses so intimately Paul's commands over us in our text. If you know this feeling, if this is your hope, this restoration process and power, you know there's a lot of people in our world that could use it too, right? Maybe you could use it and we're here to give it to you today. God's here to give it to you today, that is. Our world, though, is hurting right now. Physically in great ways, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually in greater ways. And we who are in Christ have his restoring power at work in us at all times. We have God calling us to this place to share this restoring and healing presence and promise of God with anyone who proves to be in need. And here's the thing. As with the virus, like many are facing in our world today, sometimes those in need can't just be given a single dose of medicine and instantly recover. You all know this. Sometimes it takes a prescription, a several dosage uh, of that medicine. Sometimes the trials that we face, the struggle that we're under, the battle that we're fighting, sometimes as quick as we get some relief, the heat is turned up, the pressure intensifies, and the weight on our backs gets even heavier. We know this and may be dealing with 
it better than some. But there are plenty in our world that have been brought to their knees on their faces because of the ongoing trials of their continuous stumbles. They need someone to be willing to do more than just encourage them and move along. Do more than just patch up and pass by. More than just pray once and soon forget. They need something that is rare in our world today. They need someone to care for them. They need someone to bear their burden with them. There are people, maybe you're one of them, There are people who on one hand, they are hanging on for their life, struggling and straining and losing grip because of what they're facing, whether from oppressor or against the enemy. These need someone to relieve that hand that's about to lose grip, that's running out of strength, that's running low on supplies, running low on life. And on the other hand, there are people who continue to do themselves harm, There are people who use their freedom, their health, and their strength and abuse their provisions and blessings and sin against themselves and sin against others. And yet these need someone to hold that hand that's about to forsake truth and guide it in a better way. There's a story in the Old Testament where Moses was called to hold his hands up to God in order for God to give the victory to the armies of Israel. The story goes on that Moses, being an older man, but also just being a tired man, grew weary as he held his hands up to heaven. Here's what the story tells us. As Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, but he needed more than that. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. We often will slide the chair up behind somebody, but are we willing to step beside somebody, alongside somebody, get in the ditch with somebody, and hold their hands up? There are people oppressed and oppressor, those who are mostly victims and those that bring chaos on themselves that don't know the hope that we know, don't have the salvation that we have, and they are people for whom Christ died, people that God loves. His heart breaks for them the way they suffer at the hand of others or from this fallen world, the way they waste their life on vanity and bring pain on themselves and on others. God's heart beats for them all. God's heart breaks for them all. What breaks your heart? As a Christian, we often talk more about what we believe and what we behave, how we behave, but we don't talk about what breaks us enough. As in, what gets you on your face and on your knees before God? What brings you to a place of prayer, a place where you call on God who can save us and has saved many and can save more? To save, to asking Him to save those who cannot save themselves, to spare those that only seem to hurt themselves, who need an intervention in the worst way. Here's what I know. We may not sympathize with someone who's hurting or suffering in an area that we haven't hurt or suffered. We may not pity those who are trapped in sin, only perpetuating their own plight and bringing pain on others. But if that person is someone close to us, someone that we deeply care for, someone in our family, someone in our circles, we see something in them the world might not see. Isn't it true? 
When it's someone close to us who's suffering, or even when it's someone who's doing bad things, when we love someone, we see a redeeming value in them, don't we? Listen, God sees that redeeming value in everybody. And if we're saved, we have the Spirit of God who ascribes this to everyone, the same value and equity. And this text in front of us lays this sacred calling on us, this sacred mantle on us to do what many in the world aren't willing to do. Quite frankly, don't have the heart to do. Bear one another's burdens. And fulfill or finish the heartbeat of God. Fulfill the law of Jesus. This is what God desires more than anything. To relieve burdens. To see his people bear burdens and bring relief. As a pastor, I may see things different than some, but 10 to 15 years ago, uh, I can say that... I might not have been as spiritual as you would anticipate. Of course, I was young then, but I can tell you this story because God has brought me on a journey, especially the last 10 to 12 years of my life. But when I first was called into ministry, I can say that I had a heart to see people saved, but I didn't have a heart for the people who needed to be saved. It's a very different thing. I loved preaching the Bible. I loved talking about God. I loved telling people about God. And I loved seeing people get it. But when I first started in this, I didn't necessarily have a heart for the people. Yeah, I wanted them to get saved and get right and all those things. But I didn't have a heart for the person that was in front of me or around me. If that makes sense. I had passion, but I had no compassion. I had indignation, but I had no intercession in my life. I complained a lot, but I did not have a great concern. I was more political than spiritual. I lived by my own self-righteousness more than I did by the righteousness of God. You might wonder, what, how did God fix that? What changed? Well, he made me a pastor at an age that I probably shouldn't have been made a pastor. His command over me was to love his people. Not love who they might become, but love who they are. Hear that. His command to me was not love who somebody might be, but love who they are. Isn't it true? A lot of us love the potential in people. We love the ideal version of someone, but we struggle loving them for who they are. You see, that's the difference in selfish love and agape love. That's the love we see in Jesus all throughout his earthly ministry. His heart was broken for both religious people and those that rejected him. The worldly masses that wandered far away from him. Over the religious, Jesus stood and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Jesus gives the most heartfelt cry to these people that have broken his heart because he loves them. These people that were so worried about being right that he just wanted them to be his. Of course, there's the many examples of Jesus wandering through the Judea hillside and 
these things would happen. He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He would go into their crowds and heal and give, provide, and just be present with them, hoping that they might understand what God's heart was for them. If we're ever going to bear the burden of others, if we're ever going to fulfill the law of Jesus, we've got to have a concern and compassion and make intercession for people like Jesus did. We've got to have a love for people like God does. Over the past decade, God took me on an incredible journey, and I'm still going on this road, of course. One that has been all about coming to terms with just how broken so many lives are. I don't say this judgmentally at all, but God has brought me alongside many whose lives are so far from Him because of sin's power, because of religion's deception. This process has softened my heart. It's broken my heart. Years ago, I I continued to pray this. God, give me a heart for the world like you have for the world. I've placed myself under the burdens that I saw so many weighed down by, whether the burden of sin, the burden of shame or sorrow, the burden of self that tries to live up to their own expectations. This has not been easy, and I don't want any accolades for it. I'm tempted in my flesh. I forsake this posture nine times a day. But God continually brings me back to this place of humility. And i got to say, the past few weeks, the past few months have been especially difficult for me. This year has wearied us all, but as a pastor who takes seriously my role in your life, whether you're here or whether you're watching, who takes seriously my role in this community, my role in this generation, my role in our world in this season, this year has tempted us all to ignore this chapter, this calling, because our own lives have been so busy and so hectic. Our own burdens have been so heavy, but this temptation is why we must take so very seriously this command today. It's why we have considered it more than ever the past few, why I've considered it more than ever the past few weeks. Paul says if anybody, the the phrase if a man is a plural, if anybody is caught or overtaken by a trespass, This word, trespass or transgression, can mean any trial, any test, any trouble, non-deliberate setbacks. Yes, it can refer to somebody's seemingly deliberate sin, but it can also refer to somebody's unexpected fall. And isn't it true? Even in our rebellion, we never intend to fall. Sin clouds our judgment, but that's even true in our obedience. Maybe you've wondered why we've had to suffer loss or sorrow in a personal painful way from the hand of those alongside of us. Sometimes God allows our hearts to be broken by the effects of sin in and from the life of someone we deeply love to align us with His heart. Our response to them isn't quick judgment, it's a heavy burden. And all that we would take this posture in regards to a much larger, much worse often situations around us. I know we don't rejoice when our hearts are broken, but understand that every person that is living under sin, by sin, hurt by sin, is a person God loves and desires to know. Someone He wants to call son and someone He wants to call daughter. Our concern, our compassion, our intercession may make the difference for that person. So we need to pray to not become cynical or salty toward all that's wrong in the world. We must pray that God would break our hearts for what breaks His hearts. Because here's what we all know. 
We are products of resurrection restoration. We cannot mock or ignore those who haven't yet been restored or withhold a hand of restoration to those in need. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. On Wednesday evenings, God has been raising up a special group here at our church through our study in Jeremiah, and it ties so perfectly with this text. Lately, it's been all about this subject as we've studied the prophet's role in the middle of this religious hypocrisy and social injustice. He's observed oppressors and the oppressed, neither of which were trusting in God. He's watched religious leaders collude with political leaders for their own selfish gain. He's at the expense of the poor and the downcast. He's watched the weak and afflicted turn to idols rather than taking refuge in God. As Jeremiah watches his nation spiral out of control, I want you to hear his thoughts as it's all going down. If you look, if you would like to look with me over in Jeremiah 8, we'll flip back to Galatians in a minute. But in Jeremiah 8, verse number 18, through the first part of chapter 9, this is what Jeremiah says. I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen to the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people far from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? All that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah's heart is broken because of the pain of his people. Because of the sin of his people, his heart is broken for rich and poor, religious and lost. And we can learn a lot about his response to all this. To the religious, he wasn't hateful, even though he was angry. He wasn't bitter, even though he was dejected. He wasn't arrogant, even though he was appalled. Toward the downtrodden, he wasn't dismissive, even though he wasn't directly affected. He wasn't indifferent, even though he wasn't included. He wasn't forgetful even though he was full and taken care of. His heart was heavy for the whole nation. His heart was broken for both sinner and sinned against, both oppressor and the oppressed. I think we need to hear this because there's a lot of anger in our world today. A lot of finger pointing in our world today. I know as Americans we are very passionate about how we think the world should work and how we think the country should run and what would make it best. And we can easily become indignant toward those who stand in the way. Christians, if we want change, we can't just complain. There is a calling over us to pick up this burden that we've seen so heavily on those around us. Those that we know, those that we don't know, those that we like, those that we don't like. There's a calling for us to submit ourselves under the weight and bear it and feel it and be broken for it. We can't just complain at people. We must show concern for people. We can't just have passion without compassion or we'll vilify people. Indignation without intercession further divides a nation. In Jeremiah, you can read that how even though he feels compassion, he is so passionate about what's right. He's angry at how wrong many of the people are. 
and he struggles whether he should care for them or not. There are moments that he wants to pray for them and moments that he wants to run away from them. His response to the division and chaos, though, was always concern, always compassion, always intercession. We must remember these things if we're ever going to make a difference. Because those we need to reach will not listen to anyone who comes at them with any other heart. More importantly, we're not going to reach God or heaven any other way. Compassionate concern is what drives us to intercede for people, to bear their burdens. Struggle under its weight for the sake of restoring those being crushed. I got to say, this has been heavy on my mind for a number of weeks. Both Paul and Jeremiah put themselves in a place to be burdened for a people that weren't likely to change. They both often confess how their ideal choice wasn't to care for them. But their spiritual burden always outweighs their cynical differences. To follow this path, Paul says all who are spiritual is an unworn path many Christians take. Jeremiah mourned the summer was over and we still aren't saved. Paul encourages us, do not give up because we will make a difference in due season. If we continue to sow spiritual seeds, we will see spiritual harvest. But if we continue to work by the flesh and fight back with the flesh, we will only make things worse. So church, i got to ask us a couple questions. Will we allow God's heart of compassion and mercy to change ours? To be greater than our indignation and our selfish ambition? It's easy to complain about wrong, be passionate about right, be indignant towards the world. It's easy to forget that we don't deserve the good standing that we have. But I can't help but think that God isn't pleased with that kind of posture. What breaks your heart? That's the question we must ask ourselves. God allows our hearts to be broken that we might would line up with Him on this to shape and direct our response. May God give His people a compassionate concern, a heart for intercession. May God's people be a burden-bearing people. God has been merciful to us all. Our salvation is personal and according to Jeremiah's story and Paul's teaching, it should drive us to take every person's need personally it's a lofty idea yes and there are 15 different situations that we could point to today and say this is a burden we need to bear how can we address it we could do a series on a different burden and be in it all year long but I think everybody here today knows of somebody that's bearing a burden it may be something because of their culture something because of their social situation it may be something because of a sin in their life that isn't getting any less aggressive. It may be something physical they're dealing with, something that they are going through as a family. It could be a number of different things. And God is calling every one of us to be a people who bears somebody's burden. But it begins with posture before it can ever become a practice. We have to go to God in prayer before we ever will take someone and show someone care. Christ has been so merciful to us. What if we begin to, from a place of mercy always and forever? What if our default response to our enemies and those who are different than us was always a posture of intercession that then this chapter in front of us would not seem so foreign. It would prove essential. You know, we have all witnessed the power of prayer at some point in our lives. 
We pray for those that we love. We rally around things that mean the world to us. What if we channeled that same power for more? What if the church understood this was its calling more than anything? Paul's command is that we as the church voluntarily do this. As in, we might not feel like it. We probably don't feel like it. But he's calling us and he calls our bluff. He says, you who are spiritual, you who have the Spirit of God, will you, will you carry a burden for the world? Not every burden. You can't carry every person's burden. That's not your job. But you can carry somebody's. And I'm, think, I'm thankful somebody carries mine. Will you carry a burden for the world? Will you place yourself under a weight for someone who needs restoration? Will you follow through beyond prayer to care for someone? I learned a long time ago as a pastor that carrying a burden is just, isn't just praying for somebody to get something right or someone to change. I used to pray those kind of prayers. Those didn't work. Carrying a burden is placing yourself under the weight of whatever's holding somebody down. It may be a wrong set of beliefs. It may be something that, they're, that they didn't even have an option for that was thrown on them. It may be something that's breaking them in half. I don't know, and we don't always know. But it's putting yourself in their shoes and saying, God, I want to feel what this burden is like so that I might reach heaven with a heart to see change. That I might would follow through from prayer to care. We're tempted to blame and demean and judge, pass by and move along, to pray for them to change their beliefs and be like us. But is that what Jesus did? No. But what if we bore and devoted and joined our hearts to them personally? What a difference we might make. What a difference God can make if we just do what verse 2 says so simply, but it's so elusive in the life of most Christians. Bear one another's burdens you know bear it or dismiss it 2020 has laid a tremendous burden on us all hasn't it you know and dopey me stood up here back in january and said the best was yet to come what did i know i prayed about that sermon a lot for about two months <laughs> but what if what if the best was yet to come and what if the best is yet to come and what if what if the church is at its best, not at ease or at rest, but on our knees, interceding and reaching out for the broken? What if that's when we're at our best? The night that Jesus was arrested, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane under great duress. He said things like, shall I escape this hour? This is why I've come. I must drink this cup, even though I don't want to drink this cup. He would later be arrested, tried, and sentenced to death. And after being beaten and mocked, betrayed and abandoned by all, both religious and heathen stood by and cheered and reveled in his innocent torture. Yet Jesus, who we know to have all the power and ability to call legions of angels to spare him like a lamb before the slaughter, opened not his mouth and surrendered and submitted to the moment. And notice how the story goes. 
They took Jesus, as in God, who could not be and cannot be controlled by anybody, was laid there, surrendering to man's brute force. They took his body, and they threw him on the ground, and they threw a cross on his back, and said, go to the place called the skull. And bearing that cross, he crawled up that hill, And there, they crucified him. But not alone, with two others. And Jesus between them. Interceding for them. Forgiving one of them. Saving one of them would have saved both. He bore their burden like he bore our burden of sin, of shame, and of sorrow. This is his message, and we bear it when we bear burdens of others. As he's relieved and restored us again and again, he can relieve and restore others, still yet caught in sin, shame, sorrow, trial, or trouble. But God is waiting on us who are spiritual to submit ourselves, place ourselves under this sacred calling. You know, in the world today, there's a lot of opinions about what makes somebody spiritual. Is it about how much they give? Is it about how holy their church services are? How many languages they can worship in? Is it about how loud they sing? How much glory they can accomplish? How many miracles they've done? None of those things reflect the Spirit of God at all in the life of a Christian. Not according to Galatians 6. You who are spiritual, they'll know us by the burdens we bear. Not by miracles, not by wonders, not by prosperous riches. Only love makes the difference. Only bearing burdens makes the difference. They'll know us by the burdens we bear, and they might come to know God if we bear their burden. We have a 2020 opportunity in front of us today. If we're looking for relief, God can give it to us. But know it's because of the ministry of His church that we can find it. There's a whole world looking for relief around us today. Will we take this opportunity of a lifetime to be restored by the power of Jesus and to help others be restored by that same power? Will you commit to bearing somebody's burden today? Not from afar, but as close as you can get. You who are spiritual, bear their burdens. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you today because we know you are the God who gives relief and the God who can save. And we've seen you work in our lives in so many tremendous ways. And we are thankful for it and we are grateful for it and we are yours because of it. And God, maybe somebody in the house today has a burden that is so incredible, it's weighed them down. They did their best to crawl here today, and they need relief today, and they need to know that somebody loves them and somebody cares for them. Will you, by the Spirit of God, show them and make known to them that they are yours, you love them, you value them, you accept them, you want to adopt them into your family, and you want to bless them in their life? 
Lord, if there's somebody in the house that's bearing a burden, I pray they would know they've come to a place where they don't have to bear that burden alone. And as we Christians hear this message and reflect on how you've relieved us from so many burdens, may we take so seriously and so sacredly this calling over us to go to the world that is heavy laden and the world that is limping along and say to somebody, you don't have to bear that burden alone. It begins with prayer. It may begin at this altar this morning for somebody praying about something or somebody that they know and that they love. Someone in sin, someone in trouble, someone under some great duress. It could be anything but any kind of trial that someone may be stuck in. Somebody is being called to rise up and step out and go toward them. Lord, would you give us a vision and a calling that we might would make the most of this 2020 opportunity in a world where there are heavy burdens. May we, as your, as your people, bear a burden for somebody in need. That the world may know there is a God who bore a cross for us to save us from our sin and our sorrow and shame. That government cannot save them, politics cannot save them, nothing of this world can save them, but Jesus Christ absolutely can. And may you point us all to that hope today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.